Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook and welcome back to our afternoon panel day two. With me is Robbie Clark, Tammy Guest, Jules Galloway and Keone Moore. And today we're speaking about something that was brought up yesterday. A question to Dr Amy Myers was, how do you attract more patients? And I think this is a key thing that a lot of naturopaths and, and natural health practitioners in Australia struggle with. How do you develop a sexful, successful, thriving, <laughs> Freudian slip <clears throat> this hour of the day, a successful, thriving, ongoing business. So I think the first question is, and I'll ask all of the panellists, please be mindful, by the way, if there's any questions at the end, that, we're, that we've got to, we have to pass the microphone along. But Anthony Robbins is famous for saying, you've got to be of service. But the fact of the matter is that bills have to be paid before that time or on, on an ongoing basis. So how do you accomplish being of service while still being able to survive and put money on the put food on the table? Keone. Thanks, Andrew. So I guess from my perspective, and I guess everyone on the panel will have their own ideas about this, but I always talk about a win-win-win model, which is that we can actually... Uh, provide healthcare that changes people, people's lives without losing our integrity. And that doesn't mean that we don't need to earn an income either. That we actually uh, can have a very rewarding career with, uh, you know, a suitable income that really uh, gives back to uh, the practitioner and their family um, at the same time of maintaining integrity. So I guess from my perspective, I run a clinic with a lot of naturopaths and so we look at, when we're talking about the win-win-win model, we're talking about, well, uh, the first and foremost is what's best for the patient, uh, then what's the best for the practitioners, and then what's best for the clinic. And actually, for each of those, um, I guess, shareholders within the process, mm. uh, the clinic being viable financially is actually a part of that. Uh, and so we can't deliver healthcare that changes people's lives unless it is financially unless viable. Unless you're not there, yeah. Unless you're there, so, that's right. Yeah. For me, it was a long road of working out who I wanted to serve. I think when you first come out of college, oh. you spray yourself everywhere for a while and everyone's telling you to niche, but you pick a niche and then it turns out that wasn't your niche after all. And we've all been there, I'm sure. And what I had to do is really take a step back and work out who I really wanted to serve, who I was passionate about serving, uh, how I could share my message best with people and then the people that I really wanted to serve started to come once I started to really speak to them and only them. And from there it was really a case of discovering my own worth and charging my own worth. And so you've got to be one part business but one part also a little bit woo-woo sometimes in getting in touch with how you want to practice and you don't have to be like everybody else. So I was more passionate and more emotional and I share a lot more of my story and that works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. Some people can't do that and they go down a different business path. So I think there's a lot of self-discovery that has to come first as well. Can I ask a secondary question to that? And sorry, it's just that you've tweaked a memory. I was speaking with Ren Dubois yesterday. Yep. 
and she spoke about having the energy. And she went through years of pouring out this energy after energy. She used to run a medical clinic and organise talks and seminars and everything like that, and she just wound up running herself into the ground. And she said it was key to find her, her purpose. And that's where the energy, the sort of boundless energy comes from. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I created a program for adrenal fatigue because that's what I was really passionate about. And then there's this running joke now that I created adrenal fatigue in myself whilst creating a program for adrenal fatigue. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it can be a bit of a windy road. He just wanted to know what it's like for the patients to go through. Yeah, but I, think, <laughs> I do think when you're trying to be everything to everyone mm. that you're going to become unstuck. Great. Thanks. Tammy? Yeah, so I agree wholeheartedly, win, 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 and finding the right person that you really want to serve because your message will be really specific for them. Uh, The thing about being burnt out is that there is also how you want to run your clinic. And when I was coming through uh, my training, it was only going to clinic. It was clinic, seeing people one-on-one. But we have the opportunity now with online and so many other modalities and so many other things that we've done in our past that we can actually meld it as a practitioner. It doesn't just have to be sitting there one-on-one with clients. And I know that Keone does research, um, Jules does an amazing podcast, I do an online tribe. There's all of these things that are really in alignment with these pieces of us that are become really powerful for our clients rather than just the old school model. It doesn't have to be like that. It has to be in alignment with you. And when it is in alignment, it flows and you don't run out of energy. And Robbie, you've got an, an addendum to this, and that is the practicalities of running a clinic from the, the platform aspect, don't you? Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. And it's an online platform. So as you know, I can speak on both parts and the fact that I was in private practice for eight years, found a gap in the market, found a niche, and that was the online aspect, but the accessibility to healthcare, but also the reachability. And um, so I started a online um, consulting platform for allied health professionals. Now, if we're talking about how you get that up and running, you really need to set all your goals in place before you do it. There are so many people who leave college, university, and think that uh, private practice is going to be a luxury. It's going to be, you know, it's exactly what I want to do. I don't think they realise the challenges that they're going to be facing. And um, if you are able to know what those challenges are before you even start, you're going to be well prepared. um, And then you can address those barriers before you even um, start building your practice. Mm, mm. And then once you've built it, it's about maintaining it um, as well as your mental health as well. (laughs) I think everyone can agree with that. (laughs) Jules, you've got a great story in um, how building and diversifying your business enabled you to give back in ways that we don't often think. Can you tell us a little bit about this story? Because it's really enlightening, please. A little over a year ago, it was November 2016, I was on the naturopathics uh, Facebook page, you know, the big one, the Practitioner Network Facebook page, and I saw a call out for, uh, they were putting together, there's a group called Involvement Volunteers International, a, a naturopath called Lauren Lacey is the director, and they put together a trip of practitioners and it could be doctors, nurses, naturopaths, nutritionists, physios, everything. And I saw the thread and the thread was, gee, I'd love to go to that, but, but. I, 
I've got two children under five. Gee, I'd love to go to that, but I'm seven months pregnant. Gee, I'd love to go to that, but my boss won't give me time off work from the clinic, et cetera, et cetera. And I was sitting there reading all these reasons going, I'd love to do that and I can. Yeah. Uh, because so much of my business is online, I could just take my laptop with me and I did. And, you know, people are always talking about that laptop lifestyle and the reality is that you end up doing most of it at home yeah, from yeah. either your office or your couch but then occasionally you'll do it from somewhere really exciting and then post a photo on Instagram <laughs> hashtag laptop lifestyle <laughs> lo hashtag location independent but yeah most of it's done at home but yeah when when you do have that flexibility when an opportunity comes up like that you can take it and now from that trip um, we went to uh, Greece and we worked in the Syrian refugee camps and from there, I formed a relationship with IVI and now I'm their Fiji nutrition coordinator. And I take teams of naturopaths, uh, nutritionists, nurses, physios. And this time we're actually taking a GP who's here today. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, actually, that's in our August trip. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, and now I can do that four times a year. And yeah. now I'm looking at, we're looking at Samoa and we're eyeing off Bali and the sky's the limit. And I can, I don't see clients from overseas yet. I just try not to do two things at once, but I can take everything else with me and continue to run it while I'm away. Tammy, you lead one of the largest mentoring networks in Australia. Tell us what are the pressure points that naturopaths are facing? Oh, yeah. So um, when, when naturopaths and nutritionists and herbalists first come out of, into practice, one of the biggest things is I want to get fully booked. I bet there's heaps of people out yeah. here who, like, I want to get fully booked. And then you get fully booked and you're like, I need the money to support these full books and the people who can help me. So I need staff and I need the cash flow to be working. And then you get the growth happening and it's like, okay, I'm in burnout and I need to bring the balance back around. And they're the three biggest things. One's clients, then there's cash and then there is burnout. burnout. Yeah. And... Um, some of the cool things like what Robbie's um, created, these systems to hold things in place so that you, you can be supported by that. Having mentors is an incredible opportunity to see where all the pitfalls happen just in front, just what might be coming up for you. Um, and then the cash flow thing is a really big deal. Like um, Jules was saying around our, our mindset and what we're ingrained as a profession around, there's this... There's this shift that's happening with bringing in some woo-woo as well as bringing in the systems to really get uh, nailed on the numbers that we really need to keep afloat as a business so that we can keep helping um, as many people as we're here to help. Keone, you and I have done a podcast on your story about business building and nearly giving up and, and um, locking that clinic and nearly wanting to walk away and just never coming back to changing around your clinic to an absolutely thriving business, to now doing research. So what advice have you got for practitioners who aspire to A, get a thriving business and B, want to diversify into giving back in ways of research to furthering our profession? So I guess the first part of that question is, I think it's really important to, to realise that we don't know what we don't know. So often when we're graduating or going into setting up a clinic, there's a whole lot of things that we don't know about. But if you don't know that you don't know them, then there's no way to access that information. Like I know that I can't fly a helicopter like Tammy. 
Um, but I guess when I but went... But I'll have a crack. <laughs> hey, it doesn't look that hard. <laughs> That's easy. Um, but what going in... Go wrong? <laughs> but going into practice, you know, when I, I went straight out of university, straight into private practice, and uh, I, it was all about how do I apply this therapy to this condition? And there's a lot to learn in those first few years mm, sure. with that alone. Uh, but I just didn't realise I didn't know how to run a business. And so when then I took the next step and opened a clinic, that just made those that knowledge gap right. fast, you know, yep. much, much bigger. So I think that accessing mentoring um, and other people that have been in practice is a really important aspect because they're going to highlight things like, oh, I'd never thought of that. And so hopefully you don't need to go through the same challenges and I've spoken to some of the people here that I went through university with and we've shared some of those challenges that we've had over the years and it took a lot of determination to get over the big mistakes that we made and we all did uh, so I think taking the shortcut for the people going through that process now do you is see the best way. Do you see commonalities in um, the mistakes that practitioners make? Absolutely. And I think the first time that I realised this was just after I hit breaking point where I was like, I never want to see this clinic again. And uh, I started talking to people at conferences. And when I was in it, I thought I was the only one. Right. Uh, once I started to have conversations with other people, <laughs> yeah. I went, oh, uh. they went through that too. Like somehow I'd made it about what I was doing wrong rather than there's a knowledge gap that just isn't there. So, you know, with people like Tammy and, um, you know, I guess in terms of the people that do mentoring, they can access that help. I'll throw to Robbie just quickly. The online, online world is so important now. Whether we like it or not, it's here. It's like genetic profiling. Whether we like it or not, it's here. IVF was a problem. It's here. So um, can you tell us how you've integrated that into your practice and specifically answer the, the question or the concerns around privacy? Absolutely. So whenever I hear someone, a practitioner saying, oh, I've expanded my practice to online, my first question is, well, what materials are you using? It's the general Skype, okay? Might be some Word software that they're using to take medical notes. And then they might use a practice management tool like Clinico, best practice, things that people are very familiar with. That's three different tools. And a lot of that is not secure. For example, the transmission of medical data and information, whether it be written, verbal, um, or electronic, is not secure with mm. Skype. Mm. So it needs to undergo an encryption process, um, which a lot of this inbuilt um, virtual consultation type uh, software, such as my platform, allows for that. And yeah, the security is huge. I get patients. Uh, Practitioners all the time asking me, well, how secure is the data if I'm, I'm writing medical notes? These are all things that we've had to investigate through being compliant with the NHMRIC yep. uh, guidelines, yep. but also even in the States. They are well ahead in telemedicine and telehealth. Australia is just catching on to it. Yep. And so if you want to go down that path as a practitioner, you need to make sure that you have all of that security because if you get audited you can get into a lot of trouble. And finally, health information is the number one sought out information online. Financials, no longer. It was once upon a time, but now it's, it's health information that people can ransom, hold for ransom yep. and hijack. And that's a very expensive process. They might find out my weight. <laughs> <laughs>
Guys, thank you so much for joining us on the panel today. I hope this has given you some uh, new information, maybe some aspirations to go on within your lives and your careers. And please, again, if you've got more questions, hashtag AskFX if you want us to ask these, these practitioners more questions for you. Thanks very much for joining us today. You can find all the videos from the FX Medicine Live stage at the 6th Bioceuticals Research Symposium in Melbourne by going to the FX Medicine website and clicking on Industry Insights under the Community tab.